Hey, if you'll turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of James, it's going to be towards the back. We're still on our first chapter. I want to tell you, James is going to teach us how to live an authentic faith today. If you'll just paint this picture with me, I just like picture this as maybe a, a, a movie. Yeah, so here it starts. It's April 9th, 1945. There's this older distinguished man, and he's, he's riding a bicycle. He, he's, he's got his briefcase strapped to the bike, and he's feverishly racing down this somewhat narrow road because he's late for a meeting, and he presides over that meeting. And in April 1945, like, there's, the time is running out. He needs to get there. Now, I say he's distinguished because he's from an affluent family, and he's affluent, and he's also like, rather uh, like, intelligent. He's, he's, had a, he's had a wonderful education. His family, because of their wealth, uh, spared no cost in giving him what everyone in, in this room would consider an enviable experience educationally. He, was, uh, he just grew up on the classics. Uh, he, he studied the classics from Greece and Rome and even China and India. He ended up specializing in European Renaissance literature. His name is Dr. Otto Thorbeck, and he's the chief judge of the region. That's why he's in such a hurry. He's, his train ran out of gas, and so he borrowed a bicycle, and now here's this judge racing to this courtroom because in that courtroom awaits five men and they're on trial for their life. Now, what's interesting about these five men is they had an identical educational experience. It wasn't their education that got them arrested. They grew up studying the classics of, from all around the world. They, like Odo, was the, had memorized huge sections of the Older and the New Testament, knew about the teachings of Jesus Christ. And the contrast between these five men and this judge, right? What... What a difference. And the judge got there in time. At the end of the evening, he declared these men guilty, and he sentenced them to death the next day. Because in April of 1945, they were running out of time. So on Monday, April 10th, the five men woke up and did what they normally did as adults. They woke up and they prayed. And this time, uh, it was... Dr. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's turn to lead the Bible study, and he preached to his fellow uh, prisoners. They marched them outside into the courtyard, stripped them naked, and mocked them. They each mounted their gallows, and they were hung until dead. The Nazis left them there because they were running out of time. You could feel the Allied forces coming in your feet. And they needed to leave. But before they did, this judge wanted to make sure these five men paid with their lives. How does, how does that happen? This, 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 this chasm. I mean, all of these men were exposed to, you know, arguably the greatest culmination of wisdom in human history. And the chasm in their destinations, this, the, the differences in how the men chose to live their lives couldn't be more drastic. Joseph Goebbels, who was in charge of propaganda for the, the Nazi regime, he had a doctorate in what? Uh, comparative literature. He could have taught Bonhoeffer in one of his classes. <laughs> not one Nazi leader, not one Nazi leader failed to have 
a brilliant education. So what is it with truth? Like, it, truth can't change people. It, it can't. It just sits there. It, now, truth has potential. It has the potential of an acorn. Uh, if an acorn is put in the right soil, it can, it can split a boulder. It, 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 it can reroute a river. An oak tree can survive civilizations. Or an oak or an acorn can fall on the sidewalk and be washed into the gutter and be lost. I mean, the difference in potential of truth in these, in these six men, martyrs and a murderer. That's the difference. And so today we're going to look at how you and I can make sure that we live a life exposed to the ultimate truth that man has been exposed to, the Word of God. How can make sure that we live a life that is a blessing to God and to blessing to other people as we are blessed by God? How do we thrive in the context of living out our truth? And James is going to tell us that in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. He's going to tell us how to and how not to. The outline is, it looks like, or actually the title looks like this, how to and how not to live the authentic Christian life. How to and how not to. He's going to have three big paragraphs, and each one's going to have their own topic. They're all contributing to this big idea. And just for clarity's sake, here are the three points. How to cultivate a listening soul. Put your faith to practice. And then here's three areas where you can actually practice. So there's what it looks like. Here's the first point, and that is how to cultivate a listening soul. Now, I chose the word cultivate, well, to give a shout-out to the Women's Discipleship Ministry. There it is. You ladies want to be discipled? Go online, cultivate. Go there. But actually, one of the bigger reasons is the the Bible truth that James is going to use a metaphor here is the idea that this the seed of truth that's found in the Bible will be implanted in our souls. So the idea is it is a seed to grow from the inside out. That's how we change miraculously by the Spirit. And it's up to us, God's truth, God's grace has great potential, but it's up to us to determine the health of the soil that that truth is implanted into. And so in the first section, James is going to give us five ways to make our soul acceptable to God and and, and receiving of this truth so that it might flourish. 19 and 20, verses 19 and 20, give us the, the first three. He says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, but let everyone be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger, for the the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness life, the righteous life that God desires. So he says, look, you know this. I think we do. These are the three pretty simple to understand, but maybe not so hard to, not so easy to apply. He says the first one is you have to be eager to listen. It just means you're listening or you're, you're hearing the truth with an open heart so as to change. You're hoping to see or read or understand something to change your life, and you're willing to do that. In a word, it means teachable. The second thing we should know to prepare our soil is just shh, just stop talking. <laughs> Be slow to speak, he says. Restrain your talking. Fear this attribute of God. He's patient. He's not rude. He won't interrupt. 
And if we do all the talking, he'll just wait. And when you stop, if we stop talking, we might be able to hear him. So James is saying, look, you you need to be teachable. You need to be quiet. And then finally he says, you need to quench your anger because you can quench your anger or your anger will quench God's truth in your life. You have to be calm. Anger makes us deaf to the truth that God's trying to lead us to, to what he's speaking to us, whether it's through the word or his spirit speaking to our, our spirit. And, and, of course, anger means kind of the raging anger that's notable, who's in charge, I want to talk to your boss, that kind of anger, yelling at the children or your mate. But also it's the cultural passive-aggressive, uh, oh, bless his soul, bless, bless his heart that kind of anger. And then there's an anger that turns inwards, and an anger towards themselves, which in some expressions of depression is anger inward. But in whatever the anger, in whatever way the anger is being expressed, what James is talking about, the deeper recesses of our souls where the springs of our life are running, and they're running rapid, furiously, And when that happens, however way it expresses itself, we're saying that God is not running the universe as he should be. He's he's not expressing his love or his power the way we would want him to, and so there's an anger that's taking place, and that anger keeps us from hearing him. It keeps us, we can't respond to what we can't hear. Here's a wonderful quote, quote, never is the ear more firmly closed than when anger takes over. In a few sentences earlier, James says, look, when you encounter various trials, just ask the Lord for wisdom, and he'll give it to you plentifully, right? If, If you can hear over the rage that's happening in your heart, but you can't, you have to get rid of this anger. So, James is telling us to be teachable. He tells us to be quiet. He tells us to quench this anger, to make our soils right, to hear the truth and to respond to it. He's going to give us two more reasons in verse 21, two more ways to get our souls right. He says, therefore, put aside all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and then in humility receive the word implanted in you, which is able to save your souls. So we're, we're cultivating a listening soul by pulling weeds and, and, and taking out the poisons. I think some of it, many of us are involved in some kind of gardening or lawn care or whatever. You can't do much in the idea of planting anything until you clean out all the weeds. They'll choke out the, you know, this, the nurturing potential of, of the seed. And then you have to get the fungus and all those other things. You have to put them aside, get them out of there. The word put aside is uh, vividly described in a, a book called Hebrews where the writer there is trying to give us a picture of what it means to drop that, those sorts of things. And he says, it's like a sprinter or a, actually a runner that's about to mount up into the blocks. What do they do before they, they get in the blocks? They take off about everything. <laughs> They're running with very little clothing on because that clothing inhibits them. So it's take off the sweats, take off all the things that you brought into that. Now, put it aside, get rid of it. And he's saying all filthiness and every, I love it, it said remnant, every remnant of wickedness. Just today we'd say, you got to come, come clean. Just go all in on this. Like you just, James is saying, like, choose, okay? You want to be a spectator and in the bleachers, 
great. You could get to wear your jacket and long pants and your street shoes. But if you think you're going to hear God's voice and have the ability to respond to that courageously, no, no, no. Bleacher people don't do that. If you want to get into authentic Christianity and really live by the Spirit, you've got to drop moral filth. Like you're shedding some dirty, smelly weight vest. You don't need that in your life. Get rid of all of it, even the remnant of it. And he's saying that so that this, this, the, the acorn of Bible truth can flourish. So truth can flourish. And his last attribute for a healthy soil is, is the idea of, of humility here. He says, in humility receive the word implanted in you. And humility isn't, or actually the word is meekness. It's, it's not, a, it's not lock, loss of power or lack of power. It's actually a strong person that is using their strength to be kind and gentle instead. So just to summarize the first paragraph, James says, look, like, truth can't, does not change a, a human soul. It only has the potential to t- change a human soul. And so the responsibility is upon us. It's the condition of the soil that makes the difference. And if some of you that read your Bibles might be thinking, hey, this sounds very familiar, it is. James is probably recalling Jesus' famous uh, sermon that you can read and use it as a test. It's in Matthew 13. It's the parable of the soils. There's four different soils, and Jesus says there's four types of souls out there. The seed of truth is being spread. How, How are you responding to that? That's the part that we have to do. Maybe you ought to read Matthew chapter 13. Take the test. See what soil you have. James, right here, you, me, we're responsible for the receptivity of that truth, and we're trying to get to this place where we're humble and can receive it. Sometimes here at Grace, uh, an expression of literal physical expression of humility, sometimes when people pray, they'll pray with their palms up. So it's like, uh, my hands are open, my soul is open, my heart is willing to receive. I want to hear this from you. Not a bad discipline. Really, honestly, it does help your physical body, helping your non-physical part of your, your life open up in humility. So how to and how not to live an authentic Christian life. First part was just cultivating a listening soul. And now he's going to say, put your faith to practice. He's going to spend a lot of time here, and so will I. James says, look, you, you are either a doer of, a, of the faith or you're just kidding yourself. <laughs> There's nothing in between. There's this gulf and chasm between. There's no blur. It's either or. And when, when you read this, I want you to see how pervasive this, this value is. He's going he's gonna to repeat and restate this. He's going to say, it's this, it's not that. He's going to go back and forth, and he's going to say, if you think you can have both, you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. I want you to see this so much in the in style he writes it, this repeating and restating, that I, we change the fonts around. So anything you you're don't do, you're not supposed to do, we're going to italics and underline that. And then the things you're supposed to do, the things you do do, we're going to put that in all caps. That's appropriate, especially for this coach. And then if you mix up like living by faith and just pretending, we'll put that, that's in the red zone. That's you and I kidding ourselves. With all those helpful keys, let's read it with that in, in mind so we can better understand the meaning. Do not merely listen to the word 
and so deceive yourselves. Do, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says, he's like someone who like looks his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what, what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So there's the back and forth, do's and, or don'ts and do's, and here he is in verse 22, this summary, single-sentence summary of the writings of James. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. <laughs> Insert the Nike logo right there. Just do it. And this is the hub of which all the spokes of the teachings of James are going to come off of. You have to do it. If you're able to recite it, the doctrines or the promises of God, and even believe, you say you believe in those promises and agree with those promises, but you're not doing those things, James says you're lying to yourself. You're deceiving probably just yourself. Other people know this. Because James, according to James, you can't know... <laughs> You can't know what a Bible truth is until you do, unless you do that Bible truth. You have to practice them. And, and so you, there's no separation between what we believe and what we practice or what we do. They're this, you, you can't say you know unless you do. Look at 23 and 24. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says, he's like someone who looks in his face in a mirror and then after looking at himself, he goes away and then he, then he immediately forgets what he looks like. So in, the, in this illustration that he's using, it's often easy to get confused that he's looking at himself and immediately leaves, like he's in a hurry, he doesn't see himself. But actually the word look here is to, to glare and to glance, it's not in a hurry. He's gone to the Bible study all year long that's been focusing on these doctrines. He's, he's got a binder full of notes. He's teaching it to his kids on devotion night. But he's showing all the signs of verses 19 and 20, that he's famous for his anger, that he uh, is, is outspoken and opinionated, that he's carrying around remnants of wickedness. That's, that person, he's saying he's kidding himself. That's not authentic Christianity. That's not, that's not the real thing at all. Wake up. This will help like, see this. It's not, it's not, he's not being angry. He's just stating what's, what's real and right and true. I had a friend uh, start boxing a number of years ago, and so he, would, he would call me up and say, I'm a boxer. And I would say, well, yeah. So I'm going to insert James's words into our multiple conversations so you can see what James is up to. So first phone call from my friend, he says, hey, I'm boxing, and it's awesome. I have never worked out so hard in my whole life. And I said, oh, good. okay, for just so, that's not boxing. That was uh, punching in front of the mirror. And so if you think it is, I, I think you're kidding yourself, not boxing. Next workout, next phone call, I'm a boxer now. I mean, banging on that heavy bag. I said, yeah, but no, you're, 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 you're a poser. That's just hitting a bag. That's not boxing. Weeks later, another phone call. I get it now. I worked the mitts today. I worked so hard, I had to run for the trash can to throw up. 
Now I'm boxing. And I said, you're deceiving yourself. That's aerobics. That's not boxing. Get yourself in a ring where someone else is punching you. Then we'll talk. About a month goes by, calls me up. That was a terrible experience that I just had. I didn't realize I didn't have the speed and reflexes to get out of the way of this other guy's punches. And, the, you know, punches hurt. They hurt a lot. And then I said, now you're boxing. That's the real thing. If you stay with it, you'll become a boxer. But now you're playing for real. You can't learn boxing unless you're boxing. Okay? You can, you can be punching at the air or a heavy bag or some moving mitts. That's not boxing. Boxing is giving and taking. All that other stuff, you're just kidding yourself. Because you, you learn so much about any skill by doing it and failing and then choosing to get back up. Intellectual understanding is not the same as knowledge. It's not the same as doing. And, that, and James here, like living by faith hurts. It does. And, and, and because you learn by doing and failing and then choosing to get back up. Wait, I said that completely wrong. Because learning and falling... Learning and failing, that's, that's, that's not failing. Failing, James, failing is not living the faith. That's when you're deceiving yourself. So learning and falling, that's, or, or living the, trying to live the faith out and falling, that's just, that's just living by faith. That's just like sloppy faith learning. Like when, if your child's learning to walk and they fall, that's not failing. That's learning how to walk. Failing is staying in a stroller or the walker. And James is saying, learn how to do it. The difference between martyrs and murderers is the doing of the truth. He says in 25, so whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do, in what they do. So he shows us like four steps. This is how you do it. And don't just talk about it. Not about knowledge, it's about doing. The first thing he says is look intently. Like, you know, you're pondering it because there's a test. A real life experience is coming. And then he says, and you continue to do it. Like, uh, when I was, uh, I don't think they do this anymore. But when you were in elementary school, you got this conduct grade. And there was, like, plays well with others. Remember, I don't know, doesn't run with scissors. I don't know. But one of them was follows instructions well. That's what James like you do you're actually doing it. And then he says don't forget what you've heard. And then finally he says and then you put it into practice again. So th this teaching is so critical. And I so much so I want to spend a little more time trying to emphasize the different ways that we look at truth. The the different ways we can look at the Bible and come away with it. Like um same same thing, same little booklet looking at it two different ways. Okay, you're reading an owner's manual. I know that's a foreign word to some of you men in the room, but when you buy something, it's often accompanied by an owner's manual. And sometimes you'll look at the owner's manual, like let's just say I'm putting in a Bluetooth speaker, and I'm looking at it going, yeah, uh-huh, I'm sure, yeah, sure. And I'm going to go plug it in, and I'm going to try it out, and it doesn't work. And I'm not going to go around saying, I'm a 
speaker installation expert. No, because it doesn't even work. Now, the second time when I go back to the owner's manual, now I'm reading it intently because there's a test, and Melinda's looking over my shoulder saying, you said you knew how to install this thing. So I, so, and then I continue to do it. That means I'm practicing what the owner's manual said. It said, hit any button, and I can't find the any button. So the next part it says, it says, go, do not forget. So I go to a YouTube video or some high school kid or junior high kids showing me how to install this Bluetooth speaker. Then I go back and it says, and he practices the truth, and he says this again. And I, and I do it, and it works, and I've got six other speakers to install, and by the last one, I'm killing it. I'm remembering what I, I'm supposed to do. Cock-a-doodle-doo, I'm a speaker installator, right? Like, and we do this with every skill, every craft, everything that we're like learning how to do something, whether it's like, I don't know, sewing or any sport. Uh, you remember during COVID where we all learned how to bake bread, okay? I mean, a lot of yeast died during those days, but we became bread makers, right? So, okay, so you get that part. So James is saying, right, let's just like, you've got to do it to grow in it. Authentic Christian living, you just look at an aspect or an attribute of a authentic Christianity like forgiveness, and then you read intently about forgiveness, and then you give it a try. It's like, oh, that hurts. But that's not failing because you tried. Then you go back and you look at it again, and you don't forget what it says this time. And then you practice it again over and over. After a while, you go, I'm a forgiving. I'm, I'm becoming a forgiving person. And James says, yeah, that's it. You got to do it, though. You have to do it or you can't grow in it. You, you do that with generosity. You, it hurts at first, and then you become a generous person. Yeah, for uh, uh, to be an evangelist, go and share your faith. Ah, so you take a class. Good, you need to, but that's doesn't make you an evangelist. Write a paper on it. Perfect. Go do it, because when you do it, you learn and you become that. Because when you actually do it, you come back and you say, "Note to self: Start with breath mints." And you can't learn that writing papers or memorizing doctrine. You have to do it. Living by faith hurts. And then, like, you, you fail, and then you pick yourself back up. Wait, I did it again. It's not failing to try to live by faith. It's failing by not living by faith. That's when we're deluding ourselves. Because doing living faith, just do it, and learning is part of the process. Just do it, even in bad form, and then relearn how to do it right. And what happens when we do this? It says we're blessed. It says what's happening here is this seed that's been implanted in our souls that has this soil that we've worked on to make sure it's nurturing, the Bible teaching is starting to take root, and we're becoming mature and complete and lacking in nothing. What happens is we stand back and we say, I'm becoming like Christ in this part of my life. I'm becoming compassionate, gregarious, enjoyable to be around. <laughs> right? And it's not from knowing the Bible truths, it's from doing those so here's our outline again. It's how to and how not to live the authentic Christian life. 
we're cultivating a listening soul, we're putting our faith to practice, and then he's going to give us three examples of here's how you can practice. So that's going to happen in 26 and 27. He's going to do classic James, don't do it this way, do it that way. So 26, if anyone thinks he's a, he is religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So, number one, A, or whatever, Again, he's saying, like, just be quiet. You know, fear this attribute of God. He's polite. He will not interrupt us when we're talking all the time. When we have all the answers, we, we can't hear him. There shouldn't be a gap between truth and our tongue. Next, things we should do, or 27, he says, a religion from God, our Father accepts uh, that's, that's pure and, and faultless. It looks like this. To look after orphans and widows in, in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. He said, for our lives to change this way, he said, we're, it's, it's going to change from the inside out. He's saying there shouldn't be a gap between truth and compassion. And he's using two examples here of people that are victims, true victims of circumstances, either orphans or widows, people that can't take care of themselves. We should, and by the way, just pause, okay, for that. I'm going to come over here. The application of this is not to be the guilt-ridden, busy American Christian that is just moments away from burning out. If you've been here for a while, you know that's not our model, but that's a pretty popular model out there. The model he's talking about is an internal change in one's soul that causes a person that life change from the inside out that causes us to face out. It calls us to face out. And so in our vocabulary at Grace, we would say every believer is a minister like on call. We're, we're waiting and we're listening for God's voice to speak to us, and then we're going to respond because we're doers, not talkers. And we're going to look for opportunities for compassion, wherever they might be. There's no gap between the truth that we receive and the compassion that we show. We're quiet, we're compassionate, and the last thing he says is keep oneself unstained by the world. It, this, in this, there's no gap between truth and the uniqueness that a Christ follower is to have in our culture. It's, it's, it's very easy to go to one extreme or the other that are wrong. It's easy to go and imitate the culture and just blend in and not make noise or ruffles or draw attention to yourself. And basically, a lot of times, it's putting on a remnant of some sort of wickedness. That's not it. That's just pretend. And the other model is just as attractive, and that is just isolate yourself over here and like just find yourself an alcove to where we don't really have to live too much by faith where there's hurt and, <laughs> and fear, that's just pretend as well. You're deceiving yourself if you're calling that faith-filled living. James is saying, no, 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 you insulate yourself in the winter of the culture, and you go out there, and you live by faith in a way that expresses itself in compassion, not with anger, not with, you know, all these opinions about various things, but rather in kindness, in love. And you find yourself like standing apart from the culture because it, you're not being contaminated, unstained by the world. 
James is talking right at us, isn't he? He's a coach who just says, do it and don't call yourself one unless you're doing it. You're just a, you're deceiving yourself. This, this section reminded me of a, of a story I heard when I was a, a, a new believer. I was going to church, and the pastor there was a, a former evangelist. And so most of his friends were former evangelists. They used to tour together. And one of his friends had become a pastor of a local church. And there's a pretty big learning curve from going from an evangelist to a local pastor. And so he was kind of learning some things. Here's how it went. His first sermon at his new church he rung every bell. I mean, the people all but stood up and clapped. It's like, this is our guy. I knew we chose right. He's killing this. Second week, he gives the exact same sermon. And so the people are like, well, I mean, he was an evangelist. He gave one talk 36 times. So maybe he's thinking that could work again. But you know what? They took notes. They, they heard some things they didn't hear the first time. And so that was okay. Third week, the same exact sermon. And so, you know, leadership does what they do in some of those churches. While he's meeting people after a sermon, they met in the lobby. <laughs> and when he came out to leave, they said, hey, hey, preacher, come on over here. Look at it. Hey, uh, one sermon three times. We're going to want another sermon. And he said, when you get this one right, I'll give you another one. James is doing that. Three paragraphs, one message. He's going to keep giving it until we get it. Authentic Christian living is not the ability to recite, to know, or to even believe in various doctrines. You have to do it. You have to live in a way that shows in your choices that you believe that God is all loving and can't be any other way that God is sovereign and in control of the universe and can't do it any other way. When you do that, you'll learn things that you can't learn by just reciting. When you do that, you'll experience things that you can't experience by deceiving yourself. You'll experience blessing. That's what it said right there in the passage. You'll experience a blessing. You will be a blessing. You will be a blessing to other people, and you will be a blessing to God, the king of the universe, as well. So James is calling us out. Don't be a poser, a wannabe, a self-deceived person that calls themselves a follower of Christ. Be a doer. Get in the game. Maybe get yourself a black eye. That's not failing. That's learning. That's how you live the Christian life. What if we were a church full of that? Let's pray for that. Lord, I'd ask, first of all, that your spirit would speak to us and just let us know if, like, we're carrying remnants of of wickedness. We're trying to play both sides. We're trying to fit in nicely and still claim that we're living the authentic Christian life. That we would hear these words from James. It says, we're deceiving ourselves, probably no one else, certainly not you. And we are grateful that we're getting called out. 
Now, Lord, I'd ask that you would give us a humble heart. Let's hold our palms up right now, if you want. I mean, you know. And receive your Spirit's direction. And we pray that with that Spirit would give us the courage to do, to practice, to fall, to get back up, to become like Christ in this part of our life. We do this so that you'd be blessed, those people around us would be blessed, and that we would be blessed because James said we would. Receive this from us, Lord. Humble hearts, a humble church. In Jesus' name, amen.